Hey, this is Ian Stanley with Almost Passive Income. And if you want to create a life with more money, more meaning, and more freedom, you have to listen to the Shit You Don't Learn in College podcast with my mediocre friend, Xander Fryer. How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlick Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. All right, how's it going, everybody? Xander Fryer here, and we're back with another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And today, we've got my good friend Ian Stanley on the show. Now, Ian has sold over $100 million worth of products online over the last few years and is considered to be one of the best copywriters in the world. His words sell. He started his first business at age 12, stringing tennis rackets. Since then, he's started multiple businesses and recently sold an e-commerce company to the fastest-growing startup in Canada. He also played semi-professional tennis and is now getting into stand-up comedy professionally. You cannot put this man in a box. Now, in this episode, we're going to dig into how to create almost passive income because according to Ian, passive income does not exist unless you're truly wealthy. We're going to talk about the differences between hard work and courageous work to ensure that you work smarter and less to get better results. We're going to talk about why quitting and giving up is not the same thing and how to make sure that you never give up on your dreams. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. Every week, my team goes through our reviews, and for every new five-star review, we plant a tree to restore the rainforest in Madagascar and provide a child in India one year of e-learning. So if you give us a review, you're giving back too. All right, how's it going, everybody? Xander Fryer, and we're back here with another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. Uh, today, we've got my good buddy, Ian Stanley. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Xander. I'm very happy to be here. Nice, man. So um, real quick, just, you know, obviously, I know Ian very well, uh, but for Stay our audience members who- With your wife. I've, 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 I've met your wife, or you've met my wife. I've yeah. been to your house. Um, but uh, so for everybody who doesn't know Ian- uh, could you, could you mind giving everybody maybe a two-minute rundown of who Ian Stanley is, Why the, the persuasion hitman, the Eli Topaz? Why don't you go from your perspective and then I can finish it up? I'm going I'm, to – my me. perspective is already recorded and it's going to be put at the front of this episode. Uh, okay. So you don't, you don't get to hear that part until you actually get to hear the episode. So all okay. the shit that I talk is actually going to be later down the line. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess – I've, you know, I've sold over $100 million worth of products online. I started out as a copywriter, was my sort of initial skill. 
And since then I've sold a lot of different types of products. I've done a lot of different marketing. Email marketing is kind of my thing. Uh, if you've ever gotten an email from a weird from name, like your abs or your glutes or from your, you know, uh, your wallet, your bank account, things like that. I was the person who started doing that type of from name. Um, I do parody videos. I have characters like Lie Topez, Muscle Funson, um, very grinder chuck can't guard <laughs> silly gene uh, ryan danielle moron so you may have seen some of those videos going around the internet they've gone relatively viral in our space i had a water filter company for a bit that i sold to the fastest growing startup in canada i used to do videos where i drink out of toilets and other weird stuff and uh, i have a dog named poseidon and uh i think that's i that's do stand up comedy as well that's sort of my main thing. And I wrote a book called Confessions of a Persuasion Hitman. And so and you also used to be a, a semi-professional tennis player at some point. And you you may have discovered a new island off the coast of Madagascar. I, I don't know. Is there anything else that you've done? The last one wasn't true. The Madagascar part. That's the only not, one. That's not not yet. Yet. Maybe yeah. this is okay. maybe that's a sign that I, that's <laughs> where I need to go. And I'm half oh. English and half American, which is why I sound Australian. So even Xander's <laughs> wife's like, she's like, mate, are you sure you're not from Australia? Cause you really sound like it. And, uh, so there you go. In case you're just going to be sitting here wondering where I'm from. I'm that, that actually really helps. And I think it, I think everybody's going to be able to sleep a little bit easier now knowing where you're, where you're well, at. Listen, if I don't say that, then people can just, they're just listening to my weird accent going, where is this guy from? What? Like, I, where is he actually human? Where is, where is he from? from? I yeah. can't hear his words. Cause I'm just hearing his accent and it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's go ahead and dig in here um so ian i think that you know the first question i'm just gonna ask because we you and i already started to talk about this uh the podcast is called shit you don't learn in college right so uh let's let's talk about it what what did you learn in college so um it was it was actually very funny because i was saying him i only learned one really <laughs> useful thing in college which was how to open a a beer bottle with anything. So yeah. I could open a beer bottle with a highlighter, a shoe, uh, you know, a lighter, whatever it was, anything that was a spoon, whatever was around, I could do it. Cause it's all leverage. You just got to get your knuckle in the right spot and you can pop it. And so leverage, you know, as much as that seems like a joke, leverage is really the most useful thing I learned was how to use a little bit of effort to do a lot. Like my company is called almost passive income. And the whole thing is how to make more money in less time while having more fun. And that's all about leverage, right? It's all so about- So you actually, you, what you're telling me here is you actually did learn something really useful in college. Yes, the I leverage that useful. The leverage that opens a beer bottle with a highlighter, you can now use to build leverage in your business and make a lot I of money. It's for everything else. Yeah, I've written entire newsletters on leverage and how, you know, I, it's it's really a huge part of what I think about because, you know, I'm inherently deeply lazy and that is- you know, sort of a, a gift in a way. If you, I say yeah. you can be lazy, it's easy to be lazy and poor. If you want to be lazy and rich, you've got to learn discipline and discipline yeah. comes down to applying the right effort in a leveraged way. So, so let's, let's, yeah, let's actually talk about that for a second. Cause I think, you know, one of my things that I always tell people is like, Bill Gates has a quote. He says, you know, when I have a really tough problem, I give it to the laziest engineer, right? Mm -hmm. Because the laziest engineer will find the easiest way to do it. And I've always considered myself yeah. a lazy engineer uh, until I met you, a much lazier engineer. Um, so talk to me, talk to me about, talk to me about like this almost passive income. Cause I think 
that's a really unique idea that, you know, most people, uh, when, when they want to become entrepreneurs, they think, you know, I want to make passive income. You know, I read rich dad, poor dad. I want to have multiple lines of passive income. Tell me about this, like almost passive income idea. And that, idea yeah. Was- so basically it was born out of the idea and the reality that truly passive income really only exists for the mega rich. Like yeah. people who you basically, the irony of becoming very rich is that you now get paid to be rich because your money can literally make you more money. I view every dollar as like a soldier that I put out there and he's, his job is to come back with more soldiers. With more, but, yeah. But the reality is truly passive income, really, it's very rare. But almost passive income is realistic. And I define almost passive income as anything that takes anywhere from an hour a day to an hour a month to create or maintain. So, you know, let's say if you've got a property that you own and you're doing Airbnb, maybe it's taking you, you know, there's levels of almost passive income as well, right? You can do like my yeah. parents had a house and my dad would manage all the Airbnb stuff himself. And so he'd be having to answer calls and doing silly stuff. So he's know, still having probably, to put time and energy and effort. At anyway. least three to five hours, maybe a week. And and it's not good hours, right? Like as the real estate industry, and I'm going through buying a house right now, and it's just highlighted with how awful the real estate industry is in so many different ways, but it's a reactive industry. You literally are in like my, the loan guy I'm working with just like won't pick up at times. I'm like, that's not acceptable when you, you know, spending on something that's over a million dollars. It's like, you got to pick up and respond at least that day. Whereas what I do, everything I do in my life is meant to be non-reactive. It has to be something that I can create and then not have to respond to. And so with Airbnb, even as like an example, you can, there's levels, right? So if you want to manage the property and keep hundred percent of what you make, now you've got to deal with, you know, guests being like, Hey, there's a rat. Hey, yeah. the pool won't heat up. Hey, this won't happen. And that's not a later thing. That's not like, Oh, I'm going to leave my phone off for two hours. You that's have a, to, you have to react. Hey, I'm so sorry. Let's get someone over there. Well, you know, and it's a pain. And then, you know, another level of that is owning a property and having, a company who they just manage the property itself, but they don't manage the listings and everything. Yeah. Now you may be a down to an hour a week and then there's, and they maybe take 10% and then you have the companies to take 25%, but they literally do it all. Yeah. They manage the property, they manage the people, they manage the listing and you just own it. Yeah. And that's it. And so you go, I get to decide, how do I want to do this? Do I want to take 75% and do nothing? Or maybe, you know, it's an hour a month of making sure everything's fine. Or do I want to take 90% and do a couple hours a week of dealing with, you know, bullshit. So to me, it's all levels. And that's why, you know, email marketing is a big thing I teach. And whether it's writing for other people or or your own list, it's exponential in what you can earn. If you're getting 20% of a client's, you know, revenue from their list and, you know, this month that list is 10,000 people and you make, you know, $5,000 and then the next month, that list is 20,000 people and you're doing the same fixed amount of work of, you know, 30 minutes a day, but now your income's 10,000. Yep. It's all to me, it's about finding small fixed inputs that create a disproportionate outcome. And yeah. that's what leverage is. It's, it's pulling, it's playing with exponential equations. Most people play a linear game and they believe that the more they do, the more they'll make. But, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's gone through a really big burnout recently and his whole thing is more is more. And, He's very disciplined and works very hard and yeah. he's made a lot of money, but he's, you know, at the point of, of, you know, struggling to sleep from stress and from overwork and burnout. And I was like, the problem with more is that more has limits. You can't always do more, but you can always do less. 
So when I look <laughs> at leverage, like you can, there are physical limitations on more. There's time-based limitations on more. You can't make more than 24 hours in a day. You can't suddenly magically create 27 hour days. You can shift what you focus on so that those hours are more effective. That's the whole efficient versus effective argument, right? I focus on what's effective first and then becoming efficient at what's effective. So, yeah. you know, building your list is going to be more important than just emailing it every day and not having a single new subscriber come in. But when it comes to this idea of more, this is where I think it's such a broken equation. And if working harder or working more meant more money, we'd have a much richer population because there's plenty of hard workers who don't have much money. Yeah. But more is literally, there's a limit. Less has no limits until you're literally doing absolutely nothing. Right. So that's like, it's a, which it's is the goal. This is, this of, is where I want to be. Well, and it depends on what you want to do, right? Like for me with stand up, I'm not trying to do less. I'm trying yeah. to do more because I love being on stage. I love writing jokes. I love making videos. I love doing that. And I love my business and I love what I do, but I've also been doing this for quite a while now. You know, it's been, you know, 10, 11 years of writing copy and email copy and helping people make money online along with the other companies that have had. But it's like, you get to a point where you're like, all right, I, with the water filter company, I'd been doing it for three years. It wasn't like, as I was with the company before that selling those, I wasn't sitting at home going, oh, I need to learn more about water. I was yeah. like, I've learned kind of as you've, much you've as tapped out. about you've, water you've filtration. You've maxed out on your expertise there. Yeah, I'm like, this isn't a deep passion as far as the content. We were helping people in third world countries get clean water, so that part was great. But it's like you run out of your you know, joy for it in a way. So with, like, with stand-up, I'd love to do more in general. Yeah. It's not always about, you know, doing less, but typically with work, there's things that people are doing that they just don't want to be doing. And my goal is to remove myself from anything I don't want to do as much as possible. And so many people, well, if hard, because if hard work is your answer, then that's always going to be your answer and you're never going to be able to remove yourself. Yeah. And to the lazy thing, I don't know if you've heard this story and I'm going to butcher it, but <laughs> there's another good lazy story, which is essentially... It's something along the lines of, uh, it was like a military, it was like a general talking about who to hire or who to promote as an officer within the military. And he said, you know, you've got your lazy hard workers, you've got your dumb lazy people, you've got your uh, hardworking smart people and your lazy smart people, right? So you've got four people, your dumb lazy people, get rid of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Your, uh, your hardworking smart people, you promote to like desk work, like an officer, you know, a low level officer who's going to just manage the things yeah. and the lazy smart people, those people you promote to the absolute top because they'll find the best ways to do everything. And then obviously the dumb, the dumb hard workers, you just put them out in the field, I guess. <laughs> uh, but that's, super, you know, good, super good analogy. Like you look at the lazy smart people and those are the ones who get put to the top because they're going to find the right systems. The problem with being never being lazy is that you don't find efficient, efficient or effective ways to do things. Cause you're like, I'll just gut it out. I'll take yeah. 40 hours to do this. And I'm like, I'll take two. I'm going to figure out how to do it in two hours. Well, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a huge problem, right? Is like, you know, for most people, they're willing to do all the work and what people tell them they need to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, I don't know if this is like this for you, but this is what it was always like for me when somebody told me like, Hey, you have to do this to get this. Like the first thing in my mind is like, yeah, but do I like, that sounds hard. That's not mm -hmm. like, and don't get me wrong. Like I work hard. Like, you know me, like I'm not afraid yeah. to work hard, but like, 
I don't want to work harder than I need to work. So if somebody tells me like, I have to do something a certain way, my first thought is almost always like, but do I like, is there, is there an easier way to do this? Is there a faster way to do this? Is there a more efficient way to do this? Because Mm -hmm. if I can do that, I'm going to do that. Right. Right. It's like, if I'm going to write an email every day to my list and it's taking me 45 minutes, I got to find out how to write emails in 10 minutes. And that's most of my emails take seven to 15 minutes to write. And if I'm going to be doing that every day for most of my life, why not figure out how to, it doesn't mean I'm detracting from the quality. It just means I wanted to be more efficient at this thing. I'm going to do a lot. Yeah. And I think that's when we say work hard to it. I don't, I, you know, I use that phrase a lot too, is like hard work isn't the answer, but hard work's fine. It's, it's the idea that hard work means more and longer, more work and more hours don't equal more money. I I think that's a really good point too, though. But like something that you just said, I want to make clearer is like working hard does not necessarily mean working longer and harder. Hard work can actually be, and I kind of make this distinction with a lot of our clients, hard work can be making the one big scary fucking decision you need to make that Mm -hmm. only takes you two minutes, but that is a hard piece of work to make that big scary decision. Yeah. Or writing that story that terrifies you. I would say the easiest way to write stories that make a lot of sales is to just share the last stories you want to tell it's same same thing with stand up you want to go try and be funny for the first time just tell the most embarrassing story from your life yeah it, you're, it's hard <laughs> but it works and it's the same with going to the it gym it doesn't take like, more you, time it's just no, hard it's just hard and hard work is fine and necessary especially you know i found there was a time in my life when my life had gotten easy enough that i started to become soft just not as you know capable of handling hard stuff. And so I force hardship on myself through physical things and challenges and stuff that I do, because I think when your life gets too easy, you need forced hardship to make sure that you're still not a complete waste of space. Yeah. And so like I'll do hard stuff and like the gym's a perfect example of more doesn't mean better shape. Like there's the X3 is a really cool workout device thing. And actually ironically I've stopped using it because I got too big but the, I want to tell them that's my testimonials. It works too well. Um, and I can, I, I'm too big a person anyway. I don't need to be bigger. Um, but it's 10 minutes a day and these dudes get absolutely jacked and it works because it's the most effective form. Now I'm back in the gym lifting weights because I love lifting weights compared to, you know, I, the X3 is great, but it's a really hard 10 minutes. And it's all the HIT, you know, people talking about high intensity training and stuff like that. Like you can get in great shape in 10 minutes a day, but those 10 minutes are going to be hard. If you want to spend 30 minutes, they can be easier minutes. It's, you know, it's dependent. And there's guys in the gym. And I think the other thing about hard work, it can be the same in the gym. A guy who's on his phone constantly walking around, just talking to people, but he's there. I went to the gym for two hours. I'm like, you lifted weights for four minutes. You know? (laughs) And it's like people who are like, I worked for eight hours today. I'm like, did you? Because yeah. the difference between the work you do where your phone's away, where you're just doing real things. <clears throat> and then there's the work where the TV's on, the phone's out, this, that, and the you're other. Surfing, and like, you're surfing Facebook. You're doing something yeah, else. And you're, you're constantly distracting. It's like a, you know, the best analogy is like a jet where most of the fuel is used on takeoff and landing. And once it's in the air there's much less fuel being used and most people are constantly taking off and landing because they're switching from phone to Facebook to Instagram to email to the thing they're supposed to be doing back to the other stuff. So hard work can be as simple as spending an hour without your phone 
and doing work, only work, no email, no Facebook, no Instagram for an hour. Yeah. That's, that can be hard for people, but it's a lot better use of your time than fiddling around for three hours to get the same amount of shit done. I love that. You, so you're, you're a very unique person that you're, you've been successful in a lot of different things. People would qualify, you know, like, you know, being able to get to the level that you were at in tennis, uh, obviously, you know, copywriting, um, and now going after, uh, going after comedy, right? Like, is there, is there something that like, is there some, is there a certain type of water you drink? Is it from this filter that allows you to believe that you can just, you can just accomplish all these things? I think that's a, you know, it's a, it's a big thing for me. I think there's so many people that just wonder like, is Ian just born differently that allows him to be successful in life? Or (laughs) the short answer is yes. It's just genetics. Pure. You have to be, you have to be half Californian and a half, half from the UK and then you're good. (laughs) Born to above average intelligence parents who are world-class athletes. That's the secret. <laughs> so if you're, if you're looking for the key to success, just be born better. That's yeah, it. Yeah. So go um, back in time a little no, bit I mean, and fix, fix your genetics. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I do think that all of life is a double-edged sword. There's no such thing as a simply good thing. Everything yeah. is, can be both viewed as good and bad. And I'm writing this book, which I've talked to you about, <laughs> How to Get Lucky. And it's about understanding luck and where it comes from and luck to me is a lot like the wind right we can't see the wind we can only see the results of the wind and so and people don't ask where does the wind come from right which is to me still quite interesting and i'm like wind starts someday and we just see the results of the wind yeah right it's the whole it's all exponential equations and leverage the butterfly flaps its wings in brazil and there's a hurricane in florida right and there's the butterfly effect and all these little things that occur to create big things but part of my belief around luck is that there's, there's a big victim culture right now. And I know this can be very inflammatory and I don't really care um, <laughs> because everybody wants, so many people want to be a victim. And like the opening story in this book is about me getting mugged and what was this horrible experience that I had, but that experience became the most powerful experience of my life. And I became yeah. the person I am because of that. Had those people not held that knife up, I wouldn't be who I am. And so yeah. you take this awful experience and it becomes something, you know, I had a choice, become a victim or become the type of person that that would never happen to again. I chose the latter. But why was I able to choose that? A huge part of luck is courage. It's pe- two people faced the same opportunities. One acts and one doesn't. Um, but when it comes to the reason I'm talking about all this is that I think all of life is a double-edged sword and nothing is inherently good or bad. It just is. It's how you view it. It's your perception of it. Yeah. So somebody goes... Oh, well, you were born in a you know middle class white family to you know athletic parents who loved you. Right, that's a big advantage, right? And then we became upper middle class, and yeah, you're, okay. Well, then there's also, and I was also I was very talented physically for sports, and so because of that, I never learned how to work hard or practice diligently. Everything yeah. came easy, right? Yeah. And so people go, oh, well, that's what a gift that everything came easy. Well. It came easy, but it that also, sounds that sounds like a really rough thing to me. Like that sounds well, it like it's, it's how you learn how to not try at stuff. Yeah, because when you're young and you're the you know I was and this also it, this is none of this meant to sound arrogant. This is an answer to to Sandra's question, but it's you know I was the only kid in my school with a four point I was the fastest kid in school. I was the best athlete. This is in elementary school, by the way. I peaked in fourth grade. Um, <laughs> me too, man. I'm right there with you. I think I was maybe to, third grade. 
to trauma from another person's parent, actually from another person's parent. And it was like, you know, your parents largely create the reality of who you become, but as you become an adult, you have the responsibility to become a better version of yourself. But I would say that, you know, you can look at how I was born and go, oh, that's quite lucky. And then you can look at, you know, a, you know, a, a kid, a black kid born in Compton with no money, no dad, and his only way out was basketball. Well, that's why he's a pro, right? Yeah. Like for me, if tennis, if I didn't have the life I had, if I didn't have the other things I had going on in my life, and if I didn't, you know, I had a girlfriend in high school who I'd rather hang out with than play tennis. Yeah. And so I had no, if, if tennis was my only way out, I'd be on the tour right now. And I say that, and also my parents put all this pressure on me. So that became the problem I had, you know, my mom and dad is still number one in the world for their age in tennis. And so I was supposed to win Wimbledon from age three. And because of that, I hated it all the yeah. time. So you go, oh, how lucky you've got these athletic parents who are great at tennis. Well, I couldn't love the sport because of that. Right. And so that became yeah, its own experience. There's no, it, you know, it isn't just this is lucky, this is not. It's how do you perceive it? And, and, and the choice, the choice that you make with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then how do you act? But I'd say to answer sort of the question of, you know, I have been successful at a couple of things and I look at stand up and it's actually been interesting. Because if you look at stand up, the amount of truly famous comics, you've maybe got 10. Let's say there's yeah. 10 truly famous comics like the Rogans, the Dave Chappelle's, Kevin Hart, like, you know, and look, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart's a short little black dude, you know, yeah. and he could complain about that and whatever. And then you've got Rogan who, you know, is a, a really good athlete who's what, you know, all these different things. Um, you know, you've got your Bill Burrs and you, the, some of these people who've become truly famous and at the highest end of comedy, it's maybe 10 which means yeah. that there's less likelihood of becoming a truly famous comic than being an astronaut, right? <laughs> so you're yeah. looking at this industry and it's a very challenging thing. You have people who do public speaking, who are world-class public speakers, who are terrified and will never do a single set of stand-up in their life. Yeah. I don't say this to make stand-up seem cooler than it is. It's just interesting because what's funny about stand-up is you have all of these broke, sad people trying to succeed and broke, sad people who never succeeded in anything, trying to succeed at one of the hardest things on earth. Yeah. Even in tennis, you, tr you have 100 truly successful tennis players at any given time. Only the top 100 are really actually making money. Yeah. In soccer, you've got 1,500 people in the Premier League alone. That's yep. just the first division of English soccer. Now you've got the Spanish leagues, the Italian leagues, you've got American leagues, you've got, and then you've got five divisions in England. There's tens of thousands of professional soccer players and there's 1500 ranked professional tennis players but 100 who actually really make a living and that's incredibly small that's a it's tiny, really tiny small group yeah of human beings so you look at stand-up and you see these people who've never really succeeded and then they go on stage and they take all their depression up there and it's not funny they're just like Oh my God, I can't pay my bills. Oh, and you're like, yeah, this isn't, people came here to escape this. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just force feeding, force feeding them more. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, and I'm not saying that, that I'm the best comedian, but I, you know, I've also written a lot of other stuff, which gives me an advantage in being a writer who's, you know, been a professional writer for, you know, a third of my life now. And so I look at it and I go, these people don't know what it means to be successful in anything. Not yeah. all of them. But if you look at the comics who've succeeded, even look at a Joe Rogan was a national champion 
uh, kickball in karate. Yeah. Like he had succeeded at something. You look at these people, even Jim Jeffries is one of my favorite comics. He was a, like, he sang like opera or something crazy. Are you he serious? Got, yeah. He sang like in an Australian school. He also said that he was like, there are only like, he's like Mate, there's only like three dudes and, uh, they were both, the other two were gay. So pretty good place for me. And, you know, <laughs> but he was like a, a great singer. Like people who've succeeded typically have been good at something else as well. And they've, well, they've, 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 they've figured out that there is, there is a formula here to success and you can't apply yeah. it in different areas of your life. Yeah. Right? And I think it comes down to doing, I think what I'm good at is doing the right thing. Yeah. Like focusing on the right stuff, not doing the most stuff, but just doing the most important stuff. But if you ask me, why do I think I've, and I've, I've failed at stuff too, by the way. Um, I will I've never failed at anything I really wanted because I don't understand what it means to give up. I was going to say, because I, you probably don't stop, right? That's the only difference is like, no. you know, you, we all fail at things, but like, if you really want it, you don't stop. You keep, yeah. you keep going until you succeed at it. Yeah. I was talking to my mom and dad about this house and getting, which was supposed to close today. And now it's supposed to close next week. And there's just like the loan and the financing. And there's these different issues with this company. And I'm just like, my mom's all freaking out. And I'm like, look, I said to her, and I go, have I ever not gotten something I really wanted? Yeah, you've known me for 31 years. <laughs> goes, I said, I can think of one thing. And she goes, I can think of one thing. And it was this one relationship actually. And I'm like, but ultimately I didn't want that. Yeah. But that was it. And she's like, no. And I'm like, that's because I just, there's a difference between quitting and giving up. Quitting is when you, like I always compare it to going through special forces training, right? Which is what I wanted to do with my life. And then I got, I had things happen that made that impossible. And uh, it's, if you're going through training and you still want to be a Green Beret, but you stop and you ring the bell and you, which is actually the Navy SEAL side, ring the bell if anybody's going to nitpick me. <laughs> um, but if you, if you stop and you still want the end goal, that's giving up. If you yeah. stop because you don't want it anymore, there are people who go through selection and like, you know what? I like the normal military more. I don't want to be in special forces. Like that. I don't, that's not my right thing. That's quitting. Yeah. That's a good thing. I said, quitting that's a is choice. a choice. Yeah. That's doing, that's quitting doing it out of purpose. You hate, you, you hate that job, quit. But yeah. if you love that job and you love what you, if you have something you want, you can't giving up is much Don't give up. Yeah. Yeah, quit, but never give up. And for me, I've never, I've never given up. So I don't have that data point in my life where there's that one, you know, where I can call back on when I've given up because I haven't done it. And I think yeah. a lot of it, when you said that, the first thing that popped up was self-doubt. I don't, I don't really have any. And, uh, and I know that can make me sound. By the like way, that doesn't sound quick. cocky at all, Ian. No, I know it can sound. I, I it's interesting because in my coaching groups and stuff, I see all this self-doubt more and more lately. I've been seeing people who just, it's just their own internal stuff. Right. And I'm like, I just never had that. I have doubt. Of, so I was, when I think of, I wrote a thing about this as well, about being about Thanos. Right. And I said, I, I feel like I'm like Thanos. Are we, Thanos, are we going there? Are we getting into let's Marvel? Go, let's go. We're getting into the Marvel universe. All let's right, go a little bit. There. Thanos right. says, he says, what does he say? He says, I am inevitable. Yeah. Right? And inevitable means this thing is going to happen no matter what. And so to me, inevitable is how I feel about something I truly want. It's inevitable. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to happen on my timeline. I'll tell you that 100%. The things you want will probably come slower than you want them to. Yeah. 
But time is the source of almost all of our pain as human beings. I want this thing, but I want it sooner than I want it happening. now. Right? Yeah, I, I want it I now versus if I want it. Take much longer than I expected. So, but being inevitable means it will happen. It's just a matter of when. It's that you people t tend to vastly overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in five. Yeah, and so. I just think of it as, I always think of the what, not the how. What do I want? I want to be a very successful comedian. How? I don't know exactly yet. I have an idea and a path, but I was, the how is not for now. Right? It's a cheesy phrase, but it's like people go, well, how am I going to make money online? I go, just decide what you're going to make. Yeah. You'll figure out the how along and, the way. And commit, and commit so to it. Caught up in the how. I would have a bunch of self-doubt if I was trying to figure out how. I think I had to know everything yeah. going into stuff. A lot of it's just, I just throw myself into crazy situations and figure it out, you know, yeah. and that's what well, I think, that I think that's, I want to, I want to kind of echo on that for a second, because, you know, you talked about, you know, Thanos, the inevitability of like this thing happening. Right. And if you're, if you're willing to let go of the how and just commit to the end game, which is literally what the movie is oh. called yeah, <laughs> like that. Um, if you're, if you're willing to commit to the end game and then you're willing to just, you know, grow, like figure it out, like whatever, mm -hmm. everything is figure outable. So if you commit to the end game and you commit to it being figure outable and let go of the how and let go of the timeline, mm -hmm. there's only one outcome success. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you don't stop, there's only one outcome. Yeah. And it's, and that war within yourself to become more and become better, that is an infinity war. You know, it is always <laughs> going to be going on oh man i i really hope there's some like place. super super like marvel marvel nerds, that, marvel nerds that are listening to this right now just freaking out <laughs> I, I hope so uh, <laughs> and it's you know it's like you are going to also success is all comparative right like i'm successful maybe for compared to most people my age but if i pick a, a handful of certain people I can go, I'm, I've done nothing. Well, yeah, right? like some of our yeah, friends, yeah. We, we look at and we're like, holy shit. Like, well, and how do you define success, <laughs> right? Like I can look at yeah. a, a soccer player who's 31 and go, he's made $85 million. And, yep. you know, or, and maybe he doesn't talk to his kids and maybe he's miserable and yeah. maybe he's really happy. And talks you talk, to do you talk to your kids, Ian? Do you talk I, to your kids? I don't have any. So uh, I would be weird if I did. That you're, that you're aware of. I'm a child in my inner team. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's comparable, right? Like I can look and if I want to feel inadequate, I can go and look at a comedian who's making it at 31. And yeah. then, but your path is yours. There's no reason for comparison, right? Like I can look so at an think, actor. Do you think comparison's a big issue? Like a big reason for lack of self-worth? I think that's part of it is we I see other people. The, I think it's one of the primary reasons for for a lack of self-worth is that you're comparing people. Nobody's you. You're, you're comparing somebody else who did it faster or better, yeah. right? Rather than just getting clear on what you want and allowing it to happen. Yeah. And my comfort comes from the fact that this is the only path I could have because everything that's happened has already happened. I believe it happened for a reason solely because it happened. And it's taking me longer to do stand-up than I thought it would. And I've, and a lot of this is self-sabotage and fear. And even being on this, like I get fear around the main, you know, I, fear of being seen as arrogant. I define, you know, I say every Englishman's greatest fear is being seen as arrogant. If you become successful in England, you have to act as though it's happened totally by luck and by no, none of yep. your own actions. Yep. If you're successful in America, people go, he worked hard. He deserved it. 
you know, yeah. and it's, it's celebrated. So I have my own, that's a battle I've been fighting, which is me getting more and more comfortable with being like, yes, I have, I am successful. I have done these things and that's okay. Cause most, anybody listening to this, who goes, this guy seems like an arrogant asshole. That's 100% you're right to have that opinion. Like it truly is. And there are going to be people who hate me listening to this, who think I'm cocky and whatever. And maybe they're right. But maybe more likely it's their own insecurities around somebody who's confident. I've learned that as I, I used to be more of an actual douchebag and an but, And again, that does come back therapy. to comparison. They're comparing it's themselves a, well, to you. They're feeling, they're like, oh, like I've got friends who hated me. Like I've got some very close friends who did not like me when they met me. And then after they've gone through some therapy and things, they come back and like, man, I realized it was, uh, I just really didn't like that you had things in yourself that I don't have in me. That, that you I, made me notice the things yes. that I need to work on. Yeah. And I've had the same thing. This isn't me saying this is a one way thing where only I've felt that. It's like we tend to, we can dislike people who have traits that we wish we had. Yeah. And, you know, and, but I do think comparison is, you know, it's the thief of joy, right? It's a, it, it doesn't make things better. It's if I, you know, when it comes to, let's say fitness or being in shape, I'm in better shape than most humans, but the people that I look at on Instagram, uh, literally, and I'm looking at, you know, these, a couple of these dudes who are just absolute freaks. And I go, Oh, it's literally their job to be in shape. Yeah. And this is one of the fittest, this is one of the top 10 fittest people on earth. And I'm comparing, if I compare myself to that, I'm inadequate. Yeah. But I'm just trying to be the best version of me. Right. And you also got to make that choice. Does that mean, do you want to be the biggest dude, the most ripped dude, the this, the that, or do you want to be pretty good at most of it? And also, like you mentioned, like how much time do you want to spend on that? Or you want to be more leveraged elsewhere, right? Because if yeah. you can do that in 30 minutes rather than three hours, is that what you really want? So you can spend more time doing other shit. Right. And it's that dom that can dominate your life. There's rarely a super, super ripped person who just looks in the mirror and loves what they see. They're yeah. finding issues that it's coming from a place of, you know, lack. There's some who are in an adult place. Oh, my, my eighth, my eighth, pat, my eighth ab in the eight pack is asymmetrical. It's slightly yeah. off. Therefore, <laughs> I am not worthy of love and I shouldn't give myself any food I like and I'm not going out for the next six months. Yeah. It's like, oh, you see the pictures and you go, oh, that guy looks great. And it's like, and that doesn't mean you can't look in the 99th percentile and be very happy in this, but to be the absolute best at something in the world, there are sacrifices to be yeah. the absolute best. And that's why even with stand up, right? You, there's no best comedian. There's a best tennis player. There's a number one ranking. It's what's kind of yeah. cool about tennis is it's literally like, no, this isn't a debate. Like this guy's number one. Yeah. This person's two. This is three. It's not like, well, I think Kobe's better than LeBron. Or I think that it's like, no, no, this yeah. is, of course you can go generational, but like, if when it comes to comedy, there's no rankings. I stopped doing comedy competitions. I did some and I was like, oh, this is triggering all of the stuff that I hated about tennis. And comedy is not a competition. It's yeah. a collaboration. If I go on stage in comedy, people think of it as a zero sum game. So many people, it's like there's this little pool of laughs, this little hat full of laughs. <laughs> Every time you get a laugh, it takes one of the laughs out and there's less laughs left. The reality is laughter creates more laughter. If somebody goes on stage before me and kills, now I don't have to bring the crowd up from nothing. Right. Yep. Like there's, it's not a competition, right? Jim Jeffries actually said it really well on a podcast once he was talking about Aziz Ansari and how there's these comics who are mad about all his success. Right. And he's like, why are you upset? He's like, he's a, he's, he's got his own thing. 
He's like got a little hip hop Indian guy vibe. Do you have that vibe? No. So he's not taking anything from you, right? He's not, there's no competition in stand up, especially yeah. now. There used to be five minutes allowed on a Johnny Carson on the late show, and you were literally competing for a finite number of, you know, amount of time. Now with the internet, there's an infinite amount of time. There's enough stadiums. Well, somebody, somebody goes and watches yeah. a, a, a Bill Burr special and they go, oh my God, that was so good. I need to go find somebody else to watch. I need to go find a new <laughs> comedy special, right? And that's, that's opening it up. Right, and I could go, oh my God, Tom Segura and Bill Burr and Burt Kreischer are way further along than me. And Jim Jeffries, oh my God, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm so mad at them for succeeding. Or I can go, uh, I can buy discovery ads on my YouTube channel and show up next to their videos and leverage their success for my own. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it's all how you look at it. And so to me, it's not, I don't view business as competition either. I view it as collaboration, right? You and I both teach yeah. people how to sell stuff. I don't go with oh, Xander's my competition. I go, I promote Xander's stuff. And Xander's yeah. We literally talk about this stuff. We're like, Hey, yeah. how can we get you to my audience? How can I get to your yeah. audience? It's a collaboration. There's not, I had a buddy who owns his name, but he has a, he teaches copy. And when I taught more just pure copy, he didn't want to promote my stuff. And it's one of my really close friends. And yet I've, he told a different friend of mine, he's like, Oh, William's my competition. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I don't see it that way. I, yeah. I think we can both raise each other up because if they join his group and make more money, now they have more money to spend with me and they associate yep. the success they had from him with me for introducing them. And so, you know, in, in comedy, like I don't look at it as this zero sum game and that's I don't, all of life is not a zero sum game. There's an, in, you know, there's an infinite amount of money. There's an app, you know, they literally printed 40% of the U S supply of money was printed in the last year which should make yeah. you feel very comfortable about <laughs> about inflation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's an infinite amount. There's, it's an abundant plane. We're limited beings who live in a limitless plane, right? Humans do have limits, but this world doesn't really. And there's an incredible amount that we can do and succeed with. And if you view it all as people stealing from you and zero sum game, life's not going to be very good. And so yeah. I just view it as I, I am the only me. So I don't try to be the best anymore at stuff. I try to be the only. So if it's speaking at an entrepreneurial event, I, as of now, I'm the only person who can go and do stand up the night before and then go speak on stage the next day. Right. And there may be a few others. I don't know. Maybe JPC is um, right. But that's, I'd rather create my own category and be yeah. the only, then I doesn't mean I don't want to be the best standup that I can be, but it's also standup, especially is a subjective experience. You could have, if you put George Lopez on with his normal crowd, he kills. If everybody in his crowd was similar to me, it would be a silent room. I don't find him funny at all. Yeah. I don't think George Lopez is funny. <laughs> yeah. But he's wildly successful and popular. That doesn't mean I don't respect what he's done. Right. Like I don't, I, it's not for me and comedy, especially because it's so subjective. You go, I'm not trying to be better than Chappelle or Rogan or, you know, Tom Segura, these people, I want to be the best version of me on stage. And a lot of comics actually stop watching as much comedy as they go along yeah, because they don't want to take other people's things. Like when I used to listen to a lot of Jim Jeffries, I'd find myself sort of doing the, hey, all right, guys, you know, we're going to talk about, yeah. you know, we're going to like, um, you know, and I start to use the C word and stuff more on stage. And I'm like, all right, I gotta, I, it's my voice, not somebody else's. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so you just, 
Like, it's it's interesting. Like as you're talking about this, it's almost like becoming a stand-up comedian is like one of the best forms of personal development you have to go through because you have to like stop comparing. You have to really find yourself and yeah. be like truly creative. Right. Or you can be, there are people who succeed for a bit. Yeah. Who become big like a Dane Cook or a Carlos Mencia who literally stole a bunch of jokes and you can become huge for a little bit, but it's like, um, I've actually, I hired a comedy coach, which yeah. is kind of a, a funny thing, but I, you know, I looked at my bank statements and I go, I, if I say comedy is what I care about most, I don't spend any money on it. Whereas I spend money on my business and yep. my fun and all this other stuff. And him and I have been, it's been really fun working with him. And, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about is like this idea that when you're like, when you're on stage, you've, you've got to become completely the best version of you, not the best, yeah. not some of the comic, not stealing from someone else, not using someone else's mannerisms. But one of the things he was talking about is, you know, cause the reality with comedy is there are lots of, there's great comics who have no following and who can't perform anywhere cause nobody knows who they are. Yeah. I feel like I've been working on the craft for a while and I feel good going on any stage, but until I'm known and have that audience, it doesn't matter, but you have really mediocre comics or people who built a following on YouTube or Instagram who now can go, they'll be like, Oh, I'm doing stand up now. And they'll sell out, you know, theaters, they'll sell out comedy clubs because they have the audience because they have the audience and people go, well, that's, that guy's bullshit. He's a hack. He's not a real comic. I go, well, instead of being mad, why don't you just do what he did? Why don't you build the audience? And so that's what yeah. I'm doing with stand-up now is I'm like, all right, I'm taking this seriously. I'm going to build the audience. And then as long as you can get houses and seats, that's what they want. So instead of getting mad, I think, how can I learn from this yeah. person? And, but another interesting thing that my coach guy said is he's like, there are these guys who will have a big viral video or something. And they have this little niche audience that will sell out a club for two years and they go on stage and people just think they're funny that know them, but they're not funny to anyone else. Yeah. And cause they didn't learn the craft. They didn't truly learn. And so two years later they're gone. Yeah. So I think sustainable success is honing your craft, becoming obsessed with being the best, but the best doesn't mean better than others. It means the best you can be. And the cool thing about standup is you're never done. No comic thinks that they've, that like They've Bill Burr not sitting on his ass going, well, I don't need to write good stuff anymore. It's like, no, you always need new material. You're always working. And it's a constant improvement. And what's weird, what's awful and amazing about standup is you have a real time feedback loop for failure. Yeah. If you want to fail, if you want to be good at standup, you got to be willing to fail in front of people in real yeah. time. If I write something horrible that nobody likes, I could post it and people don't respond and I don't. Okay. Yeah. If it's on stage, you got to hear that silence. Yeah, to be willing to tolerate. You gotta, you gotta, thing. you gotta feel your heart drop in front of those thirty or fifty people or whatever it is. Right, and, yeah. then, you, and then, but you've got to not personalize it. You've got to go. That was the that wasn't me. That's I've got to be better. That wasn't good enough. Yeah, you said, you, you said something. You said something really. You said something really interesting that I want to. I want to hit on too here because I think you know this is really pertinent for uh, like shit you don't learn in college, like. I think this is something that isn't taught and that it's, it's kind of what you were hitting at. There was mastery, right? We are, so that person that might have one viral video and then they, they squeeze all the juice out of that lemon for a couple of years, right? A majority of our, I feel like majority of our education system is all about like, you know, like learning how to get an outcome rather than then mastering the skills so that you can do this for a lifetime, 
right? And I think that's what, what you're kind of describing for me here is like to become a masterful comedian, you have you have to work on the skills so that you can do this over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And and this idea of mastery becomes a very real thing in your success rather than just getting it this one that one viral video that that took off. Right. right? Yeah. It's I mean it's even with copy, I did make a choice. I said I want to be one of the best copywriters in the world. Yeah. And so I practiced. And yeah. I pra- it was the only thing I ever practiced without attachment to outcome. Because in tennis, it was all outcome-based. I hated it. And I didn't learn how to practice in tennis. I was I was raised on the talent model, not on the growth mindset model. Yeah. I was, my dad was, oh, you're the most talented, so you should win. So it's you will win, way. yeah. Especially in a sport like tennis where so much of it is mental and emotional. Because I can still hit a 130-mile-an-hour serve. I can still go hit a ball. Like, my friends are on tour. The guys I grew up playing with, uh, playing, you know, Sam McQuarrie and Steve Johnson and Marcus Jerome, who I hated growing up as on. <laughs> he played, just played in Wimbledon, and I beat him in, you know, in high school. And we play and, like, I can hit the same ball, but my mind was so bad on the court. Yeah. Now, with the therapy and the different things I've done, there is a temptation to go back out and play from that place. But if you're mentally, you know, horrible, it doesn't yeah. matter how physically talented you are. And I was that I was a, I was what most people, I was a huge waste of potential. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, just because I like you, I'm going to request that you don't go play at that level again, just for your own physical safety. I mean, me popping you, my rib out of my you spine. Tend, and, you tend to pop ribs out and shit when you play too hard these days. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I've thought about the same thing. You are you are thirty now, Ian. We are we are we are Dude, beyond. I thought it was a joke. Getting old. I was always like, oh, get older, and now I'm like, God, this is real. Like stuff hurts. Yeah. yeah. It takes so much effort to like. Now I'm doing mobility work and. Just, Every day, man. Every day, I I went to my I went to my PT. I went to my PT because I was like having like hip issues. He goes, Xander, how old are you? I'm like 32. He goes, you're getting old. And I'm like, dude, don't, don't say that. And he's like, no, you are like, you got to do this stuff every morning. I was like, fuck. Well, and that's the thing, right? So you can go, you can be like most everyone and accept that getting older means you get fatter and more <laughs> out of shape and things hurt more. And as that's not getting fatter, but as, as getting you know, more injuries and stuff has started yep. to happen. I've gone, all right, well, this just means I have to practice more, especially the stuff I don't want to do. So I just followed, started following this knees over toes guy and bought his program for that stuff. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, and I don't want to just accept this prescription of age causes knee pain and these issues. I know that's not- Or, or, or it's cramps when you're having sex or, or anything like that. No, what are you, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, oh, Whitney's going to hate me for this one. Oh, she, she won't <laughs> listen. Don't worry. Uh, but, you know, you go, okay, well, your knees just hurt as you get older. And I go, well, actually, if I eat primarily all carnivore and I don't eat other stuff, my knees stop hurting. And if I do the work to build up, you know, do these exercises that this dude's created, I can actually have not have knee pain. And that yeah. means at 50 or 60, like I, Mark Devine's a mentor of mine and uh, who has seal fit and unbeatable mind and, um, you know, watching like the type of shape that he's in, we were, I was at this event with them and like, you know, he's, we're all getting in the ice baths and stuff and the guy's ripped out of his mind and he's, you know, in his fifties and you go, okay, like that's yep. not a, it's not a prescription for becoming less than you can be. Right. Yeah. Like 
just because you're getting older, people, people, so much of what happens to people is just their accept they're, them accepting what's supposed to happen. That this and, is that this oh, is he it. Practice. Yeah. He practices yoga each morning. He practices weightlifting. He practices these things. And because of those practices, he's still a freak athlete beyond most every 20 something year old in the world yeah. in his fifties because of a choice he made. And so it's like, you can, so many people I think play the victim role, not in even the traditional victim way that we think about nowadays, but just victim to age, victim to where they live, victim to move. Yeah. Move you. Oh, you hate where you live. Move, get up and oh, move. Hate, well, but my parents live near here. Okay. Didn't say it was going to be easy. Move. Yeah, that's a choice. You, you hate how you look, change the way you eat. You hate the, And it's like, and there's, look, there's lots of trauma. And, you know, I had a business with a therapist for two years where I basically got 30 years of therapy in a couple of years. And he's <laughs> remarkable. And I learned a lot about trauma and, you know, weight and things like that. And it's, it's easy for hardcore motherfuckers to be like, oh, you want to get in better shape? Just run more. Do the, do. It's not always the answer. But the reality is at some point when you, you can make choices. At some point, you have to make the decision that I, I don't do want this anymore. Thing and make like yeah. you, or you just accept the circumstance. Yeah. Either if you're going to complain about the circumstance, but you're not willing to do the work to change the circumstance, then don't complain. Yeah. Cool. Ian, I we could probably keep talking for hours, but I don't want to keep you for any longer. Um, I got one last question for you. You know, being that this is the shit you don't learn in college. What's Wait, one I'll, say, thing? I'll say one more thing I learned in college. I wanted to say at the beginning. Okay. Interrupt you. I'll say the other, I learned that I opened beer bottles with anything. The irony is I can't drink beer anymore. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I also learned that don't learn from theorists. Learn yeah. from people who've done the stuff you want to do. I didn't go to class almost ever. I went the first day to pick up my syllabus. I went to the midterm and the final. Yeah. But. I would spend all, I spent four hours a day typically reading in college. I was reading two to three, four books a week on my Kindle. And those books were written by people who had done the stuff I wanted to do. And the teachers, the teachers didn't have, I didn't want to be a, a college professor. Yeah. The teachers didn't have the life I wanted. So I read books about people who had the life I wanted. Accomplish so, the shit you wanted to accomplish. Yeah, read books. Every problem you've had, somebody else has had the problem and written a book about it. Read the books. And don't follow the tradition, you know, be willing to go away from the traditional shit. Yeah. That's the, the well, that, that, that actually pretty much I answered the last question the that answered. Yeah. That answered the question that I was going to ask you, which, which is what do you wish most people learned, learned in school? And I think that's actually a pretty good answer. It's learn, learn from people who've actually implemented, not necessarily theorists. Right. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, if you learn, what do I wish most people learned in college? Yeah. Or that you learned in college. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say, well, I, I started my first business in college and like, well, actually technically when I was 12, but you know, <laughs> don't, I actually, I think this would be the best thing within this because a college, at college, you get given a certain path and that path is the same as everybody who has a psychology degree. You got to do these classes. You get this degree, you do these classes. They define your path. Don't let somebody else define your path. And if you're going to play a game, you know, learn how to bend the rules. I don't, I mean, ethically. And if you're playing somebody else's game, make your own fucking game. Yeah. Like stop playing someone else's game. I love it, man. Cool. 
Ian, where can where can where can people learn more about you if they want to learn more about Ian Stanley, about your your stand up comedy, anything else? Uh, you can go to my Instagram at becoming Ian Stanley. Uh, you know, if you hated me on this and think I'm arrogant, feel free to go there and comment and tell me. Shoot him uh, a message. He will yeah. respond. <laughs> yeah, I do post a lot of, uh, I, I have a YouTube channel with a bunch of free content and stuff on how to make money and different stuff. <clears throat> my parody videos, all that stuff's on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, my book, Persuasion Hitman. Is, yep, we'll, uh, make sure, we'll make sure that we have a link to yeah. Persuasion Hitman in, yeah, that's the, uh, Persuasion in the show notes. Um, and then uh, if you want to read my emails, that is what I'm good at. Uh, you can go to feedthewolf.com. It's written on my own in case I forget. Uh, <laughs> feedthewolf.com is where you can opt into my email list and you know learn useful stuff. Perfect. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me, dude. Of course. All right, that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton. 